You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. How y'all doing this morning? Give, give three people high fives. I don't know. I don't have a cool pastor thing to say. Um, Bert has all the good ones and he used them all. Um, let me unlock my iPad. I got this. I got this cool table that I'm probably gonna lock myself to, out of a nervous tick, but that's okay. Um, just being honest. Um, all right. Can I? My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, but I have to get something off of my chest. So recently, um, we, I got switched to the associate pastor role, and little happens three months after I get switched to um, the associate pastor role, Kanye West comes to faith. That's like a, that's like a youth pastor's dream, is it not? And uh, Bert and I were talking about this the other day. There is a youth conference in Florida that is being hosted by nobody other than the Kanye West. I was like, come on, man. We were talking about it, and he was like, I mean, it's just crazy to, to see what God does, but I'm like, come on, man. Like, I want to go to Sunday service. That's a youth conference I want to go to and take my kids to. Um, but so I guess I just have to go by myself. Um, so it's fine. Um, but hey, I don't know where I want to put this table. I'm going to move it 27 times. It's fine. But hey, my name is Josh. I'm so happy to be here with you guys this morning. We're going to be um, in this series that we've been going through, Elisha and um, I just have a question for you guys this morning before we get started. And it's not a question um, to, be, to be smart or arrogant, but my question is just, why are you here this morning? Like, why are you here? Are you here because um, your spouse drug you here? Are you here because your grandparents drug you here and ripped you out of bed for the 8 a.m. service? I'm looking at my nephew in the back. Um, he's like half awake. Um, why are you here? Are you here because you're looking for an answer from God? You're here to celebrate something that God's been doing in your life? You just love our worship band and you couldn't wait to come rock out with them this morning? Are you here because you heard that our senior pastor is an awesome preacher and you wanted to hear him preach? I'm not him, but he's sitting over there. Um, what are you here for? We're all here for a reason, but why are you here? But no matter the reason that you came, I guarantee you this, that God has a bigger reason in mind why you're here. You're not here on accident. You didn't just wake up this morning um, and show up at this building before 8 o'clock in the morning. Like, that's not an accident. I've never heard of somebody accidentally showing up to the earliest service at a church. <laughs> I hardly show up here at 8 a.m. on purpose, let alone um, on accident. So we're going to be in this series um, called Elisha today. I'm not going to interact with the middle stage like Pastor Bert does because... My brain doesn't work like that. Um, I'll get confused and mess up. But uh, we're going to be in this series called Elisha. And uh, it is going to be, um, it was one of the more difficult messages for me to write because I'm a guy who likes to have a bunch of points and just um, kind of use those points to go forward in the message. And um, Pastor Burt had set the tone for this message, this series. And uh, we're going to go through this message verse by verse and just pull out the, just the nuggets of wisdom and insight that is in the scriptures together. Um, so, 
It's not how I normally preach, but it's still going to be good. Um, I'm really excited about it. So um, when Pastor Bert uh, said, hey, I want you to do this week, I read the message, and I was like, how am I supposed to preach this? Um, To me, it just seemed like one-dimensional at first. Have you ever read scripture like that one time, and you, you got one thing out of it, but throughout your life you go back to it over and over and over again, and it just speaks to you differently? Um, so what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to read it through, and then we're going to read it piece by piece and watch how it might go from one dimensional and just open up to us. So we're going to be in 2 Kings 5. So if you have your Bible, you have the Bible app. Um, don't let that thing talk. Don't hit that play button on it. Um, it'll drive me crazy. If you were at 9.30 last week, you know... I can't handle noises. Um, But we're going to be in 2 Kings 5, and we're going to be through um, 1 through verses 15. 1 through 15. So I'm going to be using the NIV version, and it says this. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him uh, what the girl from Israel had said. And he said, by all means, go. The king of um, Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter, took, uh, the letter that he took to, of the king read this. With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard what the king of Israel heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him a message saying, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. He will know that the prophet, there, there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent his messenger to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he surely would come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana in Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? So he went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became like a young boy. When I read this the first time, I looked at it, and all I could see was just a story of a dude getting healed. Just a guy who got healed, and I was like, well, that's pretty easy. Like, point, God heals people. 
And it's true, right? Like that could be one of our points this morning. That could be one of our, our talking points this morning. But I think that if we can go through and just break down this piece of scripture piece by piece, we can see that if we just dive in a little deeper, if we let the scripture open up to us, we'll see some things um, about ourselves. Like I think my mistake was when I read this the first time, I thought it was just about healing. But this scripture is about so many other things. Obedience, it's about healing, it's about miracles, it's about the human experience, it's about trusting God, it's about salvation. It's way deeper than we could imagine. And uh, so that's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I just want to go through this scripture together and just see um, what God is doing um, in Naaman, through Naaman, and what God is trying to show us through this scripture. So if we go back to verse 1, it says this, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, because through the Lord had given him victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. If you, um, if you remember back in the Genesis series, uh, we, Pastor Bert took um, some time. We, there's a lot of names in the Genesis series. And we remember, if you talk, remember us talking about that names have, have significance in the Old Testament, that names weren't just a pretty sound, but they kind of told a person who you were in life. Your name um, was your character. It's who you were. So for me, Joshua comes from the same word, Yeshua, which comes out to be Savior and Messiah. That is not who I am. So I would be named something, I, I, I don't know what my name would be if it, if it matched my character, but it wouldn't be Joshua because I, I am not anybody's Savior. But names um, had significance. They meant something. So the name, uh, man, I forgot his name. Now, Naaman, gosh, I had to read it like three times to remember what it was. I'm looking at it. I just couldn't pronounce it. Now, Naaman, that name comes from the Hebrew verb na'em, um, which just means to be delightful, pleasant, and beautiful. To be delightful, pleasant, and beautiful, um, or handsome, because he's a man. He can't be beautiful, right? Um, so na'em, for the, the word that Naaman comes from, means to be beautiful, which is in stark comparison of his actual condition. He's supposed to be this way, but he is this way. Naaman, when you read that, the original readers, the, the people who would have been hearing this in their culture when this was written would have heard, this man was supposed to be good-looking. He was supposed to be pleasant to the eye. But this verse ends with, but he had leprosy. This is in stark comparison of who he is. And if I'm reading this, he was designed one way, but he is this way now. And throughout scripture, leprosy is used as a symbolism for sin. And as I'm reading this, my question as I read just this one verse, that isn't naming us. 
that we were created one way, that God created us with a purpose, for a purpose, and on a purpose, to be this certain person, to have these gifts and this ability. We were created in the image of God, but sin crept in, and now we are like this. Isn't naming us. Created to be delightful, but now has a disease on his skin that makes him the exact opposite. Is this not the human experience? Is this not you and me that we were created to be one way, but through our sin we are another way? And I think about even as, like, it says that he's delightful. The people um, I think about that are delightful, in other translations, they call him a fierce warrior. I've met some fierce people, and they are not delightful to be around. <laughs> they are in your face. They are, I remember in college, my, the people I did CrossFit with, they were fierce people, but they were not delightful. I would not go out and get dinner with them later. Um, paleo and not eating carbs. I'm, like, I'm trying to eat pizza and drink juice, man. Come on. Um, But there's this way that our world has that Naaman was this way, now he's this. Sin took something from him and the world changed who he was. And as we go through this life, isn't that true about us? That we were one way, we were innocent and we were young and something happened and it changed us forever. Something happened and we were never the same ever again. So my first thing you can, if you're taking notes, or my first point, so to speak, is that we were created one way, but sin has created us to be another way. This infection that we have has changed who we were created to be. So if we go into verse 2, it says this, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master could see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. I really, this is the only line we get of from this girl or about this girl, but I just love her character. <clears throat> that in midst of her worst possible situation ever, she is still looking out and at the needs of the people around them. I think about the position that she's in. She is a, a servant girl, meaning she's probably 14 years or younger, and she is in this household, and she's willing to point out something wrong with her master. That in her worst possible situation, she's thinking about a cure for somebody else. I think about myself that on my worst days when, when the computer's not loading and I'm trying to do something and Bert asked me to do something and help him with something, I can't even do that. I can't see past the things that are going on in my life to help the people around me. But this girl was kidnapped from her family, but the posture of her heart can't help but to help the people around her because she knows who the God of Israel is. She knows what the God of Israel can do. And when you know God, you can't help but to point people to that God. The people who are hurting and broken and need a miracle, you can't help but to point them 
to the one who can do those things. So my first question I have in from these two verses, my question is, do you have anybody in your life like this little girl? Do you have anybody in your life that is like this little servant girl that in the midst even of their worst possible outcome, they are pointing you back to God? That when you get off center, you get off kilter, that you're, you're walking in the wrong direction, that you're going through something, that you need something, that they can say, hey, look, I know there is a God out there that can help you through this, that can heal you of this, that can free you from this. Can you, will you just come with me to church and experience it? Will you just let me tell you about this God? Do you have someone in your life who loves you enough to be able to call you out when you need to be called out? My other question is, are you willing to be that person for other people? Are you willing to be that person for other people in your life that if you see somebody struggling or need something, would you be willing to re-center them? Would you be willing to re-center them? And the other question, when I read this, um, I think about the way that in Scripture we see how um, lepers are dealt with, that they have to be excluded from communities and they're, you know, they're put in their, like they're in leper camps and people don't interact with them. But for some reason, Naaman, um, Naaman is still interacting with other people, which he's still the commander of the army. He's still doing all these things, which makes me ask the question, was he so content with his leprosy that he forgot that he had it? And were the people around him so content with the thing that was actually destroying him that they forgot that he had it? Because what he had on his skin was going to destroy him, was going to be the end of him, but he seems to just be going along in life with no regard of it. So my question is this. Is there something in your life that you've just been so content with that is actually destroying you? Is there something that you just say, it's just part of my personality, I'm never going to change. But in reality, it's destroying you and the relationships around you, and it's a threat to the people around you. Is there something in your life that is slowly destroying you, that you've turned a blind eye to, that you've just ignored for so long that you just feel like it's part of you and that it's never going away and you're just stuck like that forever? Is there something in your life that's like Naaman's leprosy? It's something you noticed a while ago and it, and it bothered you when you were young, but... A decade's passed now, and it's just who I am. It's just my struggle. It's just, it's just my cross to bear. No, it's not, because sin destroys you. Sin removes you. Sin is what removed us from the presence of God, destroyed that relationship, made us, and jarred that relationship, made us turn our back. It's not who you are. Naaman wasn't born with leprosy. He wasn't a leper 
forever. It's something that came to him. It's something that was slowly destroying him. So we'll jump down to verse 4, um, 4 through 6, and it says this. Naaman went to his master and told him um, what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. That's how I traveled to Universal Studios, because that place was expensive. Um, The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Um, in one of the commentaries I was reading that this amount of money comes out to be um, current day like $100,000. And that it would have weighed so much that it says in the end that his horses and chariots, that he would have used one, one chariot to like pull all this money. Which, as I'm thinking about it, he goes with all this money and it makes me think, is Naaman, Naaman's not going to be healed. He's going to pay medical bills. Like, he's not going to just be healed. He's going to pay for something. Like, he's going to pay for my student loans. <laughs> um, the thing about God is we know that we don't have to earn anything from him. We don't have to earn anything from God, but Naaman thinks there's something inside of him that thinks that he has to go pay for something. Like, he's going to the hospital to pay for a healing. And isn't this how we respond to God sometimes? That when we, we think we have to earn something from God, we think that we have to, to cross off a, a checklist. When I was, um, every week when we were running the Wave student ministry and we were doing the worship experience, I, would, I remember praying before him, like, God, I spent X amount of time writing this message. I, I made sure I got enough pizza for all these kids. You see this room that I set up? I deserve for 40 kids to show up. I deserve it. I did all this work. Didn't I earn this? Like, I put in so much time doing this. I worked extra. I gave up my Friday. I gave up my Saturday. I stayed after church on Sunday. God, I've earned this. And then 10 kids show up. And I set a room up for X amount or or when I did this thing called the wave one day, it was a, I tried to do a student ministry conference and I put in all this work. I made Bert wear a 90s jumpsuit and dance on stage and, and give out gift cards and only a handful of kids showed up. And that's not, where I, like, that's not where I put my value or anything, but I felt like I earned more than that. Like I felt like I could earn by, by doing my job well and, and praying extra long and, and setting up the room and making sure the chairs are perfectly straight that I somehow earned for my youth group to be crazy. And I think one of the reasons was because I thought it was my youth group and I thought that yeah, like everything was dependent on me. But isn't that the same for, for us too? Like, God, I've been praying a lot. I've been coming to church. I, I put my hand up in worship. Why haven't you answered my prayer yet? Haven't I earned this? I've been going to community group. I've been, I spend more time praying for others than I pray for myself. God, haven't, haven't I earned that yet? Or maybe I asked in the beginning, why are you here? And maybe that's the reason that you're here. Because you, 
you're afraid to ask God for something, so you have a mental checklist of all the things you need to get done before you're willing to ask God for something. I need to go to church. I need to pray. I need to worship. I need to read my Bible. I need to put my church clothes on. And then once I meet this quota, somehow I am now enough to ask God for something. Somehow I've now earned the right and the ability to stand before God and ask him something. And and somehow now I can earn it. But the thing about God is that you can't earn anything. In our 21st century mind, I think because we live in such an exchanging world that we feel like we need to constantly exchange something to God to get something from him. But that's not who our God is. We were saying, in reckless love, we sang, I can't deserve, I couldn't earn and I can't deserve it. Like, that's who we are. We, We can't earn anything from God, nor do we deserve anything from God, but it's through his grace that he shows up in your life. It's through his grace. It's through the, the fact that he loves you so much that he answers those prayers, that he brings healing to your family, that he breaks the chains of addiction. It's through his love, and that is free on its own. We can't earn anything from God. And as we um, read this next section, just keep in mind that in the last piece, um, remember in the beginning, the servant girl said, if you would just go to the prophet in Samaria, you would be healed. And Naaman ends up going to the king. So just keep that, that Naaman goes to the wrong person. Keep that in mind as we read uh, through this, through the next piece. So um, verses 7 through 12, it says this. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent a message, why have you torn your robes? I, I love that line. Like, dude, what are you doing? Um, have, him, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went, to, uh, went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand up and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, uh, the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the river of Damascus, better than all the w- rivers of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went off in rage. Naaman's attitude is this. I want God to do this, but I want him to do this on my terms. Or maybe it's for us. I want God, but I want him on my terms. Here I am, God. Heal me. Do you realize how specific Naaman was about how he wanted his healing? Let's read that again. I thought that he surely would come out to me Stand, call on the name of the Lord, and wave his hands over the spots of leprosy. Naaman had his mind made up how God was going to move before he even had the opportunity to ask. Has that ever been us? Has that ever been us? Like, God, please restore this relationship with my relative, but only if 
they say sorry first. I'll forgive them, but they have to apologize first. God, help me to live for you. This job is not glorifying to you, so, so, but I'll only leave if you give me a job offer before I have the opportunity to quit. Or, God, I want to have a godly relationship, but I don't want to move out from my boyfriend or girlfriend's house. God, show me how to do this. Show me what I need to do. I want to glorify you in all things, but if it fits X, Y, and Z. God, I want to live for you, but only if it fits in the parameter and circumstances of my life. I wrote this down. One of the, one of the things before my wife and I got married, we decided um, that we were going to glorify God in our relationship. I'm like getting emotional. I have no idea why. This is not emotional. Just who I am, I guess. Cry all the time. Um, but uh, I remember Leah and I just choosing to, we wanted to glorify God in our relationship. So at 23 years old, I graduate from college. 22, I don't remember. I graduated late. I was not a good student. Um, I took a victory lap. Um, I still sometimes think I didn't graduate from college. I have stress dreams all the time, um, especially around December when I graduated. Um, so I remember us saying that, God, we want to glorify you in our relationship. So what I did, I graduated college, and I lived with my parents. Sometimes I think about it, I had it easy, no bills, nothing. It was great. I could eat all their food. Now I have to grocery shop. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, so we decided we want to glorify God with our relationship. She graduated from college six months later, and for a whole year, we decided that we, you know, the easy thing to do, wouldn't the easy thing for us to do would have just been to move in together? Like, she graduated, I graduated. The world would say, that's the easiest thing for us to do. Like, don't worry about it. No, but we decided that she was going to, we had our wedding date set, and we weren't going to live together until after we got married. She lived with her parents. I lived with my parents. And at, like, 23 years old, I love my parents, but it's not the easiest thing in the world living with your parents at 23 years old. Um, my brother's got it worse because... He's crazier than I am. Um, I follow the rules. I'm a rule follower. Um, but it's not the easiest thing to do as, a, as an adult. I have, I have my degree in the Bible. I'm, I'm working a, a full-time job. I feel like I've kind of like achieved something, but we decided to do it the right way. We wanted to glorify God. And it's not easy like sitting on your parents' couch and watching Netflix together while your mom's cooking dinner in the kitchen right behind you. It's, that's not romantic. Like, that's not a romantic feeling. Or, like, going to her house and watching TV and her dad would sit down with us and watch TV. Like, we're engaged. Can't you, like, give us, like, 10 seconds, like, just to, to relax and, and hang out together? But let me tell you, God, we want to glorify you, but we want to do it your way. We want to live for you, but we're going to do it your way. Look. If you expect God to move, think, and work the way that you think, then you're in for a rude awakening. If, if God thought, worked, and did the way that I did things in my mind, there would be no cars on Route 1 ever. You, regardless if you have a solid ground sticker on the back of it or not, you'd... Pff, infinity War dust. Gone. But... In the same breath, if God only did the things that I wanted him to do, then I would be serving myself. 
I wouldn't be serving Jesus. I would be serving Josh. So as we wrap up, I'm going over. I'm pulling a real preacher move right here. Um, so we're going to go verses 13 and, and 14 and 15, and we're going to be wrapping up. So in this, it says, uh, verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? Like, Naaman, if, if the prophet would have told you to go do something extravagant, wouldn't you have done it? He's giving you a simple command. Why aren't you doing that? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from my servant. Again, the, the servant reminds me of the girl in the beginning, willing to, to usher Naaman back towards the right way. Um, and we need these people in our lives, right? We need people who love us enough to tell us when we're being stupid. I got some best friends who are willing to say, hey, dude, you're being an idiot. And I need that. Don't we all need that? Like, you would be willing to go do this extravagant thing, Naaman, but you're not willing to do this little thing. So then Naaman goes and he washes, and he's washed seven times, which is a significant number in the Bible. Um, It's the number of completion, so um, you can only assume that means he's completely clean. But... um, um, the last verse in this, verse 15, this is, this is the bread and butter right here. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. The mistake we can make when we're reading this text is to assume that Naaman's salvation was a result of his healing. But I think it's the exact opposite. I think Naaman's healing was the means to get him saved. And what I want you to know is that God will use the things that you think are most important in your life to address the thing that actually is the most important in your life. The last thing I want to wrap up with this is this. It'll be on the screen. That your spiritual need is greater than your physical need. That your spiritual need is greater than your physical need. If we read this whole story at face value, it seems like Naaman goes and he gets healed and, and that's what the story is about. But it's just one small verse at the, at the end of the story. Verse 15 in your Bible, it actually cuts the story of his healing and his salvation in half. And it gives you one of those awkward titles where it chops the story in half and makes you think that it's a separate thought, but it actually goes together. That in verse 15, Naaman goes and says, there's no other God in the world than the God of Israel. There's no other God in the world. And we could assume that Naaman, God simply sent Naaman to go be healed of his leprosy or the, that God sent Naaman to go be saved in his soul. So I want you to, I just want to ask you this question that your spiritual need is greater than your physical need and 
what would it benefit you in this world to have all your physical needs satisfied but never have your spiritual need fixed? Like, God, I need friends. I'm, 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 I'm lonely. And so you, you have your physical need of being included, but you're excluded from eternity forever. You have the, God, I need a, a new job, uh, but you spend eternity separated from God. You don't, you don't know who God is. Or, I, God, we, we need more money or we need a bigger house or all these things and we're so willing to sacrifice our spiritual need to to fix our physical needs because it's here and now but let me tell you that what you're experiencing here on this earth is just a breath of what we're going to experience of eternity what would it benefit you to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul as Jesus said So my question for you this morning is, why are you here? What are you here for? Because I believe this, that you might be here to try to fix a physical need, but God has drawn you in to address the thing that is far more important, and it's that your spiritual need, that you are in need of a Savior. And I have good news for you that it is possible Through Jesus Christ, you were able to have your spiritual need fixed, that that God so loved you that he put on flesh, that he walked this earth, and then he died on a cross, your cross and mine, and he rose again three days later, declaring victory over sin, death, and shame. And let me say this. I feel like too many times we treat the gospel as advice, that it's something to take or leave, But let me tell you this, that it's good news. You take or leave advice. Good news changes the world forever. If you were having a baby and somebody said, and that that would be news to you, right? You wouldn't treat it as advice. Well, maybe. We'll see what happens. No, it's changing your world forever. And the fact that Jesus came and he loved us, he died on a cross and rose again, that's good news. It changes the world forever. And let me tell you this, whether you believe it or not, it's changed the course of human history. It's still true whether you believe it or not. So I encourage you to take the step into moving in and letting that good news change your world. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll go. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you that we have the scriptures, that we live in a world that we, can, that we can freely open them up and read about you and learn about you. God, we don't take that for granted. But God, this morning I wanna give people an opportunity that if they don't know you, I wanna give them the opportunity to know you, God. And if that's you this morning, maybe you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to, or I was walking this life and I, and I haven't been for a long time. I want to give you an opportunity this morning for a fresh start or for the first time, just pray with me. It's easy as this. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe in Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection. And I confess from my heart and out of my mouth, that you are my Lord and Savior from this day forward. 
Father, we thank you so much. We love you. We praise you. We do all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.